Please turn the scripture to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We are working our way through the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to read it this morning. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Again, that's, uh, you know, maybe a misnomer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's a prayer Jesus himself likely would not pray. He would not seek forgiveness for his own sins, for instance. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 6, we find the Sermon on the Mount within that context is, of course, this prayer that he teaches his disciples. And he says to them, and beginning in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, that's the preface, hallowed be your name, that's the first petition. Your kingdom come, the second petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the third petition. Give us this day our daily bread, the fourth petition, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the fifth petition. And then the sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have looked at the preface on the first two petitions, and today we take up the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me one more time? We'll ask the Spirit's help and understanding what it is God would say to us. Father, we do pray, you by your Spirit would come and speak to us now through the preaching of your Word. You have used and deigned to use, ordained to use the foolish things of this world. And Lord, me preaching is one of the most foolish things. To imagine that I would stand here and speak for you. That will not happen if I am just speaking. It will only happen, Lord, as you speak through me. And so we pray for the work of your spirit to come and speak to your people. Lord, we are here. We are gathered. We're waiting. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive that which you would say to us as though Christ himself were in this pulpit speaking to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> of course, prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. I don't have to convince you of that, nor do I have to convince you that we all struggle with this. We all struggle to pray. And prayer is a struggle. Jesus gives us here a very simple way to pray. And the simple way to pray actually helps us because it addresses and pushes back against some of the common problems that we have, some of the reasons why we actually struggle in prayer. One of the problems that we have in praying and praying consistently and regularly is maybe we're not really sure that God actually hears us. But this is addressed in the preface of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, by this simple phrase, four words here, Jesus is reminding us of an essential truth. That God, the creator of the universe, the powerful, almighty God who sustains all things, who's sovereign over all things, relates to us as a father. A caring and loving father. And what good father doesn't pay attention to the needs, the issues, the concerns of his children? God hears us, He comes near to us, 
because we are His children. And so he addresses that concern. Does God hear us? Yes, He hears you. You are His child. Your issues, your concerns, they matter to Him. Another problem or reason that we struggle in prayer is that our prayers, I told you this early on, our prayers tend to be boring. They become monotonous. And that's primarily because we're saying the same old things, but the same old things that relate to us. We make us, our issues, our concerns, primary in our praying. And the reality is, as big as those things are to us, they're really not that big compared to the things to which God calls us to pray for as well. In fact, to make priorities in our prayers. And so oftentimes we're just reciting our own needs, concerns, focusing on our issues. And, and then prayer just becomes this sort of duty-bound uh, kind of hope so, you know, hope, I hope, I hope he'll hear me. I hope, I hope he'll do something about this issue, these problems, this stuff I'm dealing with. Not a firm assurance, but you know, the you know, hope it doesn't rain later on today. That kind of hope so. It's the way we approach God sometimes. And 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 so there's there's just not a lot of confidence there, and there's just it's the stuff we're talking about is kind of small. Jesus teaches us in this prayer that prayer actually ought to not be primarily about our needs and our concerns and our issues, but that prayer ought to be first and foremost about God. About who He is and what He is doing in the world. And Jesus calls us in prayer to get caught up into God's priorities. These first three petitions are about who the Lord is and what He is doing in the world. And as we consider this and pray for these things, we are prompted to praise and to adore and to give thanks to our God. Hallowed be your name, the first petition, draws us into God's own desire that more and more people would honor and glorify His name. And remember I said His name is every way in which He makes Himself known. How many ways has He made Himself known to us? Do you realize that it's infinite? The ways in which He makes Himself known to us? You will never exhaust the things that creation speaks to us. The things that the Word of God itself speaks to us. About who God is and about what God has done. And it, it's like a treasure hunt to go and discover new things that God reveals about who He is from the Scriptures. You do not know all the Scriptures. You are not well-versed in looking at the creation and seeing everything that God is saying about Himself there. We will never exhaust what God says about Himself. 
the ways in which he reveals himself. His attributes, his works, they're infinite. and We will never exhaust or get to the end of the glory of God as he's revealed in creation and in his word. And so as you get caught up in not only the desire that his name be honored and glorified, you begin to use scripture to help you in prayer, actually honor and glorify and praise and adore and give thanks for the person and work of God who reveals his name, who he is and what he does. Your prayers move from boring and monotonous to praise-fueled fellowship and communion with the God who is. And when you pray your kingdom come, you cannot help but be inspired and again be caught up in the big things, the far larger things than your own concerns, issues, and needs. Things like the ever-advancing and spreading kingdom of God. And the glorious hope that more and more His kingdom and His will will overcome and destroy evil and resistance and rebellion in our own hearts and in the world, here and now. That's a big thing. And that is what God is about and that's what God is doing. Get caught up in that. That can't be boring. It can't be. It's hard to remain uninspired when your thoughts and desires soar to the great heights of God's name being hallowed in His kingdom, advancing and spreading. You move from monotony and boring to joyful expectation and eager anticipation as we travel down this Spirit-inspired path of desiring and praying for what God is doing and what God will do in the world. It's a tremendous privilege to participate. He grants us this privilege to participate in this grand design. Prayer is such a vital way of participating in God's priorities. Today we're going to look at the third petition. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The first thing I'm going to do is address another problem that this particular petition helps us with. It's a problem that, that suffocates our prayers and our praying. And then we're going to look at two specific things that we are asking for when we pray, your will be done in earth as in heaven. So first, another problem that we experience in our praying and cause the struggles in our praying is the question, do our prayers even matter? Do they even matter? The reason we ask that question, because we're good Presbyterians. We believe in the sovereignty of God. It's a nagging question that comes to the fact that Scripture teaches, and we're in tune to that teaching, but Scripture teaches that God is absolutely sovereign and that He does and will do all His holy will. And just a couple of passages, Matthew 10, 29 and 30, we see something like this. Not one sparrow will fall to the ground 
apart from your father. He is so in charge of everything that the tiniest little bird you can imagine will not fall to the ground dead unless he causes it to die. Jesus goes on to say, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And warder, zero is a number. Right? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. He knows everything. He's in charge of everything. Listen to Ephesians 1 and verse 11. In Him, in Christ, we have been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Sovereign. We know and appreciate that. He's not simply aware of all the small details of life, but He is actively involved in causing even those small details to come to pass. Dutch theologian Herman Bavink expresses the teaching of Scripture when he says this referring to God's will. He says everything derives from God's will. Creation and preservation. You see that in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Government derives from God's will. Proverbs 21.1, Daniel 4.5, Ephesians 1.11. Christ's sufferings come from the will of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 42. Election and reprobation. Reprobation is just a strong word for saying those that are condemned. Romans 9, verse 15 and following. Regeneration comes from the will of God, James 1, 18. Sanctification, Philippians 2, 13. The suffering of believers, 1 Peter 3, 17. Our life and our lot, James 4, 15. Acts 18, 21. Romans 15, 32. Even the most minute details of life, and we just read Matthew 10, 29. All these things are derived from God's will. we're not theologically careful, we may imagine that life is fatalistic, that God in His absolute sovereignty controls everything in a deterministic way so that it then makes no difference what we do. And perhaps it makes no difference what we pray. God is going to do what He's determined to do. Do our prayers even matter? But Bavink, in talking about the will of God, continues to explain and helps us understand how Scripture teaches us to think about the will of God. And there he's following Reformed teaching. This is how we need to understand what Scripture teaches. He explains that in Scripture, we can distinguish between what God decrees That is, His secret will. It's the stuff He hasn't let us in on. You know Deuteronomy 29.29. What things belong to the Lord? The secret things belong to the Lord. But that which He has revealed is for you. 
there are secret things. There are purposes and plans that he has not revealed, that he is working out. We do not know all the things that he is going to do. His secret will, his unrevealed purposes and plans. This is in contrast to another aspect of the will of God, and that is what God prescribes. We call that His prescriptive will. We call that His revealed will. This is what we see in Scripture. These are His commands. These are the things He tells us that He desires. The Bible teaches that there is sometimes a difference between what God will make happen and what God desires to happen. Bobbing gives us three scriptural examples, and this is three of many that you perhaps could even think of. God commands Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. The command is his prescriptive will. It's what he tells him to do. It's his revealed will. But he will make sure that Abraham does not sacrifice Isaac. He provides a substitute. He stops Abraham as the knife is coming down. That is his secret will. That is his, the will of decree, if you will. Another example is God commanding Pharaoh to let his people go. Study that in the book of Exodus. His revealed will, his desire, let my people go. But his secret will, his decree, he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh will not let them go. Then in 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul writes this, God desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's his prescriptive revealed will. That's his desire. But we know from the rest of Scripture that he does not, in fact, have mercy on all. That is his will of decree. That is his secret will. So Yahweh, the God of Scripture, is not like Allah, the God of Islam. He is, Allah is deterministic. He is fatalistic. But rather, God has made creation, our God, Yahweh, the God of Scripture, has made creation so that choice is valid and consequences are real. And He does this by relating to His people by covenant. If you obey, you will live. If you disobey, you will die. Blessings if you obey, curses if you disobey. This is why God's sovereignty does not abolish our responsibility and our choices and our consequences. In fact, God's sovereignty actually sustains the fact that our prayers matter. Because God has determined that His decrees, His secret will, will be fulfilled by means of our obedience or disobedience. 
And so in one sense, our prayers can and do change God's mind. That is, He uses our prayers to accomplish His decrees. This is a mystery to us. We don't know how to connect the dots. It's not for us to connect the dots. It is for us to obey. And when He says pray, we are to pray. A couple of examples. Jonah preached to the Ninevites and they responded by crying out to God in repentance. God, because of their prayers and repentance, relented from the destruction that He had threatened. Moses intercedes for Israel after the golden calf incident. God's expressed desire, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. That is His revealed will. But Moses prayed that God would show mercy in Exodus 32.14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. His decree was to not destroy His people. He uses Moses' prayer to accomplish that decree. William Edgar concludes, so we can say that ultimately God's, God decrees all things unmovably, yet He does so in a way that in relation to His people, He can be moved, especially by their prayers. Things are set in stone, His will of decree, but we do not see or know the decrees because these are secret things. But we know that God uses means to accomplish His decrees. Thus, He uses our prayers so that in answer to our prayers, at time, He changes His mind. If this were not true, then the Lord's prayer, all of it, would have no meaning. Why does He call us to pray? He has commanded us to pray. He desires to hear our prayers. He is pleased to answer our prayers. He has established prayer and our obedience in all areas of our life to be the very means by which He accomplishes and does all His holy will. His decrees will be fulfilled by our prayers and obedience. It's a very real sense in which if we do not pray, it will not come to pass. And likewise, in evangelism, if we do not proclaim Jesus and the gospel to our neighbors, they will not hear it. You and I must not get stuck in neutral in our praying, nor for that matter, in our obedience, because we have a strong sense of God's sovereignty. We must remember that God has decreed that our prayers and our obedience, and for that matter, our lack of praying and our disobedience, really matters. It really matters. To put this positively, I want to give you an example. When I was a young teenager, I can't remember how old, 13, 14 maybe, Perhaps I was a little older. That was a while ago. So I don't quite remember. But I took over the mowing of our, of our yard back in Virginia. I became responsible for the mower. 
And I made sure that we had gas on hand and, you know, if something was wrong to the mower, I'd tell Dad. I was responsible like that. And I took that job on. I had a real sense that I was contributing to the family in some way. So I was motivated by doing something that mattered for the family. Now, I'll preface it by, and this is, this is how some of us think about prayer. But when mom told me that the grass needed mowed, <laughs> I wasn't quite as motivated to do it. But when I decided to mow it, I was motivated. I actually counted it a privilege. See, this notion of privilege has been one of the most motivating things prompting my prayer life in recent years. God is pleased to use my prayers. It took me a long time to get over the hurdle of God's sovereignty and all the other things that I've talked about. I'm not there. I'm not a perfect prayer. I'm just saying I'm motivated to pray. Because I counted a privilege to actually be participating in what God is doing in the world. I'm motivated. My God-centered, kingdom-centered praying to accomplish His purposes and plans for my life, for my family's life, for my friends' lives, for the church, for my community, all of those things, I count as a privilege. And I'm motivated by that privilege. Is there any greater goal? Is there any more significant endeavor than participating in God's great agenda in this world? That His name would become renowned, and that His kingdom would spread and advance and that His glorious purposes, His plans and desires would be fulfilled here on earth as in heaven. There's no greater thing that goes on in this world. So don't be stuck in neutral. Shift up. No, shift down. <laughs> Put it in gear. God deigns to use our prayers significantly in the advance of His kingdom, significantly in the hallowing of His name, significantly in His will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, quickly now, let's look at two specific things that we're asking for when we pray your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. First, we are asking, so when we pray, your will be done, we're asking that God would give us grace to make me and others willing and able to accept His will. Willing and able to accept His will. This request is in reference to the Lord's secret will. It's the will of decree, which He executes in His providence in our lives. As we have said, God in His sovereign will, in His sovereignty, will accomplish all His holy will. Psalm 135 and verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth. So in one sense, God's will is being done on earth 
as it is in heaven. So we're not asking God to be more sovereign here. He is actually as sovereign on earth as He is in heaven. And Daniel uh, 4.35 says, He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. His will of decree, His secret will, is accomplished in His providence, His daily governance of His creatures and all of His creation, causing all things to happen in history and in daily life. And so when we pray, Your will be done, we are asking Him that we would accept it. That we would accept what He brings to us without complaining, without murmuring against Him. What He has planned and purposed to do in our lives and in our world. This is asking for grace to accept the circumstances that He brings into our lives. Our poverty, our suffering, our loss and grief, our hardship, our affliction, our conflicts, the wrong political figure or party coming to power, persecution, war, famine, disease. Whatever the Lord brings into our lives, your will be done. Lord, help me to accept those things. In our daily lives, we need His help and His grace to accept, to rest in, and to trust Him when things are bleak, when things are hard in our lives. A biblical example of praying that your will be done in the face of hard providence, I want you to consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Ryan opened up his prayer, reminding us of this. The night before his sacrificial death, he desired, he even asked the Father for a different path. A different path from the cross. A different path from judgment and separation from his Father. But what did he conclude? Not my will. Father, not my will. But yours be done. And teaching us to pray, your will be done. He's encouraging us, Christ is, that we are asking for God's help and grace to trust Him and accept His will, no matter what it may cost us. But a second thing that we are asking for when we pray, your will be done, and earth as in heaven, is that God would make us and others willing and able to do His will. To do His will. This request has in mind God's prescribed and revealed will. His commands of who we are to be and what we are to do. In this sense, there is a discrepancy between heaven and earth, isn't there? There is a sense in which God's will is not done here on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, God's angels joyfully and completely do God's commands. As the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 192 puts it, this is in your bulletin, the angels in heaven do God's will with humility, cheerfulness, faithfulness, diligence, zeal, sincerity, and constancy. So we're asking God for grace and help for ourselves and others to do and to obey God's prescribed, revealed in like manner. We need this help. We need this grace because we all, by nature, 
are prone to rebel against His Word. We're wholly inclined to do the will of our own sinful nature, the flesh, and even of the devil. So once more here we see our Savior Jesus living out this request that God's God's will would be done. Mark Jones declares that Jesus' very DNA was your will be done. John chapter 6 and verse 38. Jesus there declares that He came to do the Father's will. In Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 through 7. Jesus quotes from Psalm 40 in verse 8 where David declared, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law, the revealed will of God, is within my heart. Jesus then applies this to Himself and declares there in Hebrews 10, I have come to do your will, O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then John 4, 34, Jesus tells His disciples who are trying to get Him to eat food, I have food to eat that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of my Father. Gospel declares to you And to me, that Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father's will. He was obedient all the way to death, right? Paul says even death on a cross. He was obedient for our sake. He was obedient in our place. We are by faith in Christ. Both that His death and His obedience are applied to us so that we are right with God. We are forgiven. We are accepted. So our asking for help and grace to do His will is that we ourselves and others might be enabled and empowered like His beloved Son, as His beloved children, to obey like Christ obeyed. To do God's will as Christ did God's will. Christ being the only human to ever do God's will on earth like the angels do it in heaven. In this petition, your will be done in earth as in heaven. J.I. Packer suggests that we begin to discern the real purpose of prayer. The real purpose of prayer is not that we would alter God's will to ours, but rather that He would alter our will to His. So to summarize, two ways to understand God's will. His secret will, the will of decree. His revealed will, the will of His expressed desire, His command. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking first that God would make us willing and able to accept, to rest in, to trust Him for His secret will, His decrees which are exercised through His daily providence in our lives. But secondly, when we pray, Your will be done. We are praying that and asking, requesting that He make us willing and able to do and to obey His revealed, prescribed will. Our acceptance and our obedience of His will, both secret and revealed, We ask that that would mirror that of the angels 
in heaven. So God our Father, our heavenly Father, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we come asking for your help. Father, we do need your help. We do need your grace. That we would accept your will, your sovereign decrees, ways in which you are working in and through our lives on a daily basis, Lord, our circumstances and all that we endure. Lord, you're accomplishing things that we cannot see. You're accomplishing things that we do not know. Not just in our lives, but Lord, at large, in our nation, in the world, you are doing things that we're, we're not clued into. We simply know that you are accomplishing your purposes and that your purposes are good. But Lord, the details we do not know. We need your, we need your grace. We need your help to accept those things. Especially those things that are hard and difficult and beyond our understanding and painful. And Father, we also need your help. We need your grace to actually do your will. Lord, we are prone to wander. Lord, we do feel it indeed. We're prone to, to do our own will. We're prone to live in our own little world. We're prone, Father, to not consider your way and your will. We need your help and your grace to do your will, to know it, to do it. Lord, help us, we pray. Give us the grace we need. So that indeed, Father, more and more in every day, your will would be done. More and more in every day here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.